Well, I'm pleased to introduce Jane Evans as our teacher today. So would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity again to gather together to hear your word, to learn from your word, and um, be touched by your word. And Lord, I thank you for Jane and her time spent in study and studying and reading this passage. And I pray, Lord, that what you have shown her through this time she has spent with you, that we would learn and grow deeper in knowledge of you and in faith with you. And Father, I I pray that your spirit and your presence would be real to Jane as she uh, presents this challenging chapter to us. Thank you for her willingness for this, Lord. And I also thank you for her continued leadership in the evening women's Bible study. Uh, For many years, she has been part of that. And uh, we thank you for that and the extension of this Bible study, Lord. It is a blessing to many. So thank you, Jesus, for this time. And I just uh, thank you again for Jane and lift her to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Oh, good morning. We do have a challenging chapter today. And quite frankly, um, after the last three weeks, I kept rewriting it. Uh, So um, let's, yeah. Closer to my face. Does that, is that better? Is, Is that better? No. Okay. Let me try it over here too. So. Is that better? Is that better now? Okay. 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 If you can't hear me, I can use my mom voice. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, okay. Today we are going to be reading First Samuel 27. And I actually took the liberty of extending this passage into the first two verses of chapter 28 because it is part of the story and then in chapter 20 who is ever doing i can't remember who's doing 28 but they're gonna have enough to do anyway without the first two verses um chapter 27 we are reading a chapter today that never mentions god did you notice this when you were preparing for today's questions did you ask yourself why this chapter was in first samuel uh, what can us? What can it tell us about God if He's never mentioned? Um, did it change your opinion about David? It did mine, to tell you the truth. Uh, this chapter comes after we've been told about David's almost miraculous escapes, in plural, from the murderous Saul, his having to fight the Philistines for his bride price, two events where Saul threw a spear at David. Saul sent assassins to David's house. Saul pursued David with an army. But it also comes on the heels of many reassurances that David would become king of Israel from his anointing by Samuel. And then later he found refuge with Samuel and was reiterated that message. Both a son and a daughter of Saul helped David escape from Saul's wrath. 
Abigail told him why she was helping him. Abiathar, the priest, joined him because he understood God's plan for David. We heard in 20, uh, 1 Samuel 22, 5, that a prophet told him to leave Saul's presence, but he had to stay in Judah because God had plans for him. Now, of course, this is not all happening. You know, it's not like every other day that someone is coming up to David and saying, hey, you're going to be king of Israel. Don't worry. Um, I realize this is coming over the space of years, and this is coming at a time when he is also having extreme stress in his life. Saul turning on him, having to find places of safety for his men who are with him and his and their families and his family. Some of the Israelites had told Saul where to find David so that Saul could come after him with an army. Um, so today we're going to be thinking about how to respond to stress in our lives and might, what might be the consequences of not consulting God during these times of stress. And as we think about these things, we can find out about God, even in a chapter that never mentions him. So I'm going to read the passage here. and I'm, I'm taking it from the American Standard. Then David said to him, now I'm going to, I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul will then despair of searching for me anymore in all of the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maach, king of Gath. David lived with Achish and Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Anahonim the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told that Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day, and therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come uh, to sure, even as far as the land of Egypt. And David attacked the land and didn't leave a man or a woman alive. He took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, the clothing. And then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, uh, against the Negev of Judah. And against the Negev of the Jeharolamites, and against the Negev of the Kenites. And David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, lest they should come and say about us, so has David done, and so has been his practice the whole time he has been living in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he surely made himself odious among his people, Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. Now it came about in those days when the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go out with me into the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, very well, and you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So we begin this chapter, uh, begin the passage with David talking to himself. 
and not consulting the ephod, as Don explained that he had done several times in chapter 23, and not crying out to God, nor seeking anyone else's counsel. In 26.10, David had told Abishai that Saul would perish one way or the other because of Saul's plan, because of God's plan, excuse me. But in 21, 27.1, David uses the same terminology about himself. He would perish by the hand of Saul. So he decides on his own that Philistia, not God, would be his safety and his security. So he decides to bring himself, his men, and their families, including his uh, David's two wives, to Achish, the Philistine king in the town of Gath the very city where Goliath had come from. And remember, David is carrying Goliath's sword. You might think this is probably not a very smart thing to do, but that's what he chose to do. Now, maybe if you're being generous, you can commend David for thinking about the safety of his men and their families and his own family. David had faced the wrath of Saul several times, and Saul's wrath appeared to be growing rather than abating. And remember, some of his own countrymen had turned against him, telling Saul, go find him in the wilds of Engedi. So he and his men had been living in caves and on the run. Perhaps there were fewer men who were coming over to his side. On the surface, then, it looks like there is no improvement in his situation. So he decides to take matters into his own hands. Now, just In these few verses alone, we can learn so much about trusting God in hard situations. And the writer writer is asking us to look to that. Where do we go for our security? It's not by accident that God is recording here, that David talks to himself and only himself as he makes this decision for himself and his men and their families. He had people around him who could have helped him think out his plan or pray for him for for wisdom, but he chose not to go to them. And he talked himself into believing that he was truly alone. Well, we can do this to ourselves too, can't we? We don't let people in to hear about our stresses. We can persuade ourselves that we're truly alone and then talk ourselves into thinking, well, God doesn't care about me because I'm still in this same situation. We end up being self-deceived and then making a decision that is not self-centered. We have to be careful about what we say to ourselves. And what we say to ourselves in our hearts, we say to ourselves in those quiet moments when we're just in our own heads. These thoughts and the repetition of them will certainly impact how we act, how we love God, and how we love each other. There's good reason that Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Here in our church, we call it preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. By doing that, you remember God loves you and has already given so much in order to have a relationship with you. But David talked himself into believing that by running to Philistia, that is the enemies of Israel, is his security. He knows better in his clearer moments, as we all may. We, you know, we hear in the Psalms that he wrote um, that he, he knows better than this. But he's anxious. And 
when I'm anxious anyway, I'm, I'm thinking of something else other than God as my security. In his Psalms, David remembers the way that God formed the people of Israel and provided them security when they were enslaved, when they wandered in the desert and looking to him for food and water, and when they entered the Holy Land and had enemies all around them. So part of looking to God for our security is reminding ourselves of everything that he has done for us and also for others. You can look at other people in uh, the church, other people in history. You can look at even the history of the Jews to remember how God has had his hand on the people he has loved. Part of learning to look to God for our security is spending time with him in prayer and in Bible study to help us remember, to keep going over these facts, to help teach us to look to him for guidance as we plan for the future. But let's give David again a, a, a little bit of benefit here. He, he, he's probably weary, um, weary of waiting. Um, Helen taught us in chapter 24, he, he appears to be weary, weary of running, weary of living the way that he and his men have had to live, weary of thinking about the safety of his men and, his, and their families. Probably the families of these men have been living alone on the farms without men to do the chores. You can imagine what it would be like for the woman with their children to be running, getting the crops in and keeping the livestock, keeping their families fed, keeping them clothed. That would be stressful. And, and, and they're all on farms within Saul's reach. He must be weary of being constantly in danger of being put to death. Um, this fatigue of having to make emotional decisions is one that really resonates with us today as we're coming out of two years of constant decision-making in times when the reasons why we should be choosing the options we are choosing keep changing. We're just emotionally tired. Commentators call this burnout, of course. Um, and we note that David has not been making this does not make the move to Felicia because of a huge life-changing event. It's not after a huge military defeat. It's not after some, you know, confrontation with Saul or his men or some temptation or a major crisis. This really comes at the end of a long series of events. It's just, it just, as I said, seems to have kind of built up. Some of you may understand this weariness from marriages that are difficult or maybe even impossible to maintain, relationships with children or family or friends that really seem to be at a near boil, perhaps a chronic illness that just leaves you emotionally exhausted. Um, we are all feeling the stress of two years of not being able to live our lives without restrictions in our movements. We have plenty of biblical, even though you'll never find the term burned out in your Old Testament, nor your new. <laughs> However, we do have biblical characters that have faced uh, these, this term, that have faced this uh, way of living before. It's, it's you know, long before the term was coined. Um, God understands this weariness. And that's why we are told not to lose heart, Galatians 6, 9. And not to grow weary several times. Two of them I can mention, 2 Thessalonians 3.13 and Hebrews 
So David goes to Akish. Instead of appearing alone, remember he had done this once before, that is he had gone to the Philistines before. In fact, he had gone to Gath before, but he had been alone before. He doesn't appear alone this time. This time he has a well-trained group of mercenaries in his command. So you can imagine when he shows up with a band of special commandos at the doors of Akish saying, here I am, do with me what you will. Akish is probably going, yes, I can use you. Um, But at some point, David then asks Akish if he can go live in Ziklag. Um, He seems to be asking this so that Akish won't have to support him and his men anymore. Remember, you know, putting 600 guys up in a B&B for, you know, a year is not going to be really fun. Um, So this action would have the added benefit of getting them out from underneath Philistine scrutiny. Giving land to favorites was a very common thing to do in uh, in this, this, these lands at this time, especially if the person had provided military help um, to the king. So it's, it, but it, what's interesting is the writer kind of takes us aside for a minute and says, hey, you know what? This grant was permanent. It, it lets us know that David had asked for a city and a region that had once belonged to the tribe of Judah in Joshua 15:31. And then had moved into the possession of Simeon in Joshua 19.5. But at some point, it had been lost to the Philistines. Because of David, it goes back into the territory of Judah. Now, archaeologists are not entirely sure where Ziklag is. It's clearly within Philistine territory, but far enough away from Gath that David can move about freely. And this is what he does. He convinces Achish that he is fighting against the tribe of Judah. He, he keeps saying, I'm going into the Negev. That should be the area where Judah is. Um, and so he needs to be rewarded with a city. But I hope you felt a little jolt when David describes himself as a servant of Akish. By verse 8, we see how David is de- deceiving him. He raids the Gershites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. He's not raiding the Judahites, the people of Judah. The Amalekites, we know about, because these are the people that Saul was sent to exterminate, but he didn't. And they're not mentioned here by accident. The Gershites were not expelled when the Israelites came into the Holy Land, although the writer of Joshua doesn't tell us why. That's Joshua 13, 13. Archaeologists have put them as living um, somewhere near modern Gaza, that is in the West Bank at the uh, southwest tip of modern Israel. We have no idea where the Gerizites live. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament um, or any other ancient text, and they don't show up as being archaeologically distinct from any other Canaanite group. But you'll notice that David wipes out all the humans in the raids against the Amalekites, the Gershites, and the Gerizites. So they will not bring back to Akish news about what David is doing. Um, As I said, the mention of Amalekites was not accidental. Saul had been ordered by God to attack them and leave nothing left, leave no human, leave no animal. That would attest to their presence. We know that Saul disobeyed this order, leaving the best animals for himself and his family, and keeping at least the king alive for a short while. But clearly, since there are still Amalekites left for David to raid, Saul let many more than that of the Amalekites um, living in the land. 
But there are two important differences um, to the situations between the, the first Amalekite raid and now David's raids that the, the writer wants us to notice. God wants us to notice. Saul is ordered by God to exterminate the Amalekites. David is doing this out of his own initiative. David's war is not a holy war because it is not done in order to be obedient to God. And you'll notice David keeps all of the animals and everything else um, as booty. It may be that he's sharing this booty with Akish to persuade Akish that his military actions are working. David is no more obedient than Saul was. And that should give us pause. David might be carrying out God's plan. The writer remains silent about this, but he doesn't have a good reason for what he's doing. And this is a, this is a paragraph that I had to keep rewriting, and it's a tough one. David goes in and kills, as you'll notice, every human being. We, unfortunately, are living in a time when this kind of cultural genocide is very clear to us. There are hospitals that have the word children on them that are being bombed. Um, I, I happen to know as, uh, in my work as an archaeologist that after the invasion of Crimean Peninsula, the Ukrainian museums started adding um, sections to their museums that talked about how Ukrainian culture was different than Russian culture, and so asserting the independence of, of Ukraine. And uh, Russians have been given orders to target those museums and the directors of the museums. And so archaeology groups are trying to get them out um, because they want to wipe out, just as David wanted to do, he wanted, they want to wipe out any um, notion that this is a separate culture. Um, what do we call David here? Uh, if he was living now, we'd call him a terrorist, wouldn't we? Uh, this, is, this is a really, really disturbing passage to read. But God is going to use these circumstances to work out his will. Why does God stick with David when he has turned away, when he, God, has turned away from Saul? Why does God love this ruthless killer? Does this... This episode should disappoint us. I mean, I mean, disappoint, kind of a weak word. We should be looking at David in a very different way this way, but it's a reminder too that God loves us even in the midst of our sin, no matter how terrible this sin looks to you and no matter how terrible this sin looks to others, if you have repented. And that's the difference between David and Saul. David repented and Saul would not. God loves David because he does ultimately turn to God and repent and use the gifts that God gave him to remind others to do the same in the Psalms that he wrote. This is very messy human history that's being recorded here. God is doing nothing to disguise this. And sadly, um, we're going to move to an even messier part, portion of the human history of Israel in the next chapter. But we don't lose sight of the fact that God loves us even when we are acting like unlovable human beings. So we're going to leave David caught in a trap of his own making. He has lied to Akish, um, and not because he's ashamed of what he's done, but because he's afraid of the Philistines and wants to gain favor with Akish. Uh, we're going to see later in his life that 
he lied about his his taking of Bathsheba. And we've already seen him telling Jonathan to lie on his behalf to Saul. Clearly, David has a little bit of a problem of the truth when it comes to him feeling insecure. But he has succeeded here in making Akish believe that he has been raiding Judah and he has become an anathema to his own people. And so Akish thinks, okay, that guarantees he'll never be able to go back to Judah. David has actually done the opposite. He's in, he's uh, with the booty. He's also enriching, we're told, he's enriching the people of Judah, um, ensuring that he will not be sold out again um, by any of his people. They're enjoying the spoils of war. David might even be patting himself on his back for being so resourceful and removing himself from the dangers of Saul and the treachery of some of the Israelites. He gets to live in a real house and not beg for handouts. Now, Akish is thinking he has the upper hand in this relationship. He completely believes David. But the truth is, David has put himself into a situation where he is becoming in danger of making himself a real traitor to Israel. He seems not to have thought about the consequences of his action. And he minimizes the seriousness of his error by not seeking God. Um, You can imagine when Akish turns to him and says, hey, I've got a great idea. I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. I suspect, you know, internally, David's jaw dropped open. He started thinking, what am I going to do to get out of this? Well, God did rescue him. Um, It's really interesting. The Bible will now switch to a a story about Saul kind of leaving us hanging here. But I'll, I'll, you know, spoiler alert. (laughs) God helps him. (laughs) But it, but this little sin, this little sin of not, you know, going to God and saying, what, what's my future? What direction should I go? Can lead to a host of others. And I, I think the slaughtering of men, women, and children in order to keep his secret safe is, is probably a bigger sin than, uh, uh, than he thought was going to happen until, in fact, the situation is so bad in 28 that David hasn't, hasn't got a ready plan, um, to get out of this. So that's depressing. I don't want to leave you there. Um, what did we learn from this chapter? <laughs> I, I have a couple things, um, actually four things. Um, first thing is talk to yourself in a productive manner. God has repeatedly assured you that his plans are best for you. Um, I'm not telling you to ignore your feelings of weariness or despair, but brooding over those circumstances without bringing God into the conversation will only deepen those feelings. Don't, like David, go back down a road you've already tried and found to fail. Turn to God in prayer and Bible study. Turn to other Christians for help. And they will, all these things will help you find the comfort that he extends by knowing him. Number two, and related to this, is be sure to remember where your true security lies. I I know I make short-term decisions without asking God for wisdom uh, because they seem to be the best way forward. Or I think, oh, I don't have any time to pray about this. I just got to move. But I have to remember my security comes from Jesus who constantly pleads to the Father for, in my defense. I need to remember my rock, my bulwark, my mighty fortress, as we were even sung on Sunday. Jesus's way of reminding us was to tell us a parable about the wise person who built her house on a firm foundation 
whereas a foolish woman built hers on sand. Number three, don't fall into the trap of hero-worshipping sinful people. I think that includes almost everyone. The writer hasn't told us what David's men and what his wives and what their wives thought about this decision to move to Felicia, but his men clearly followed his orders in behaving as ruthless butchers. They had to make some kind of decision in their own heads to exonerate themselves and also him. Now, we have some distance from this story, and we can see that David is calculating and not thinking about God. He should disappoint you. But by including this story in the story of David's rise to kingship, God reminds us all that we should never depend on or revere or follow blindly any human leader. You know, we're surrounded by stories about superheroes. Um, If you go to, I know your teenagers might, but you at least know about them. Um, But we're also surrounded by media stories about people, even people in the church, offering themselves as role models, only to be exposed as sinners or hypocrites. You know, our our world just longs for um, role models, and we either make them up, the superheroes, or we find out that they're sinful like we are. Now, God has certainly given us leaders in the church, and God has certainly given us leaders in our government, but we are never to confuse them with God himself. We worship God alone. And the last one, number four, God loves you, even though you're a sinner. And even though you make decisions or I make decisions as if I'm the Lord, um, not him, I, I do, I really love the way the Bible shows us stories about people who make terrible mistakes who make terrible decisions and who walk themselves into terrible sins. We, I see myself so clearly um, in these people, but God never leaves a story there. When these terrible sinners repent, when I repent, when we repent, we are not thrown out of the kingdom of heaven. These repentant sinners, we are being shown grace through the true anointed one, Christ, who died so that the repentance is accompanied by the sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. Now, David could only anticipate this sacrifice, but Jesus' death paid the debt for him too, just as it paid the debt for you. Even if you aren't running around, you know, murdering entire villages of people, I hope none of you are. (laughs) Repeat this good news to yourself every day. Spend time meditating on the love that God has for you, And when you make your decisions about your circumstances or about what your plans for the future, make them in the knowledge that God will use the consequences of those decisions to accomplish his will for you. So let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the uh, the rich textures of the stories of the people in the Old Testament as a warning, but also a comfort. We rejoice to see in these pages people who are like us. We battle depression, anxiety, fear. We make bad decisions, and we put ourselves in your place. We see people in the Bible who forget that they are cre- that you are the Lord and the creator of the universe. We forget that you know when a sparrow falls, you have promised that you catch our tears. And you've promised shelter under your wings. And we forget all this. But teach us to rely on you. Help us to find joy 
when we meet with you. Help us to speak to ourselves every day about the ways that you have protected us, the way that you have made to reconcile ourselves to you. And um, I pray that this joy will spill out so that we can tell others about the good and generous and loving God whom we serve. And Lord, we uh, pray specifically now that we remember that you are our security. I want I pray, I want to reach out um, for help and to pray for all of those who are refugees from the Ukraine, from Afghanistan, from Syria, and all the other places of the world where the forces of evil rage. Help us to remember that you are in control of all these situations. You have foreseen them all. And thank you that you are going to set every injustice right in the last day. Help us to be generous and loving to the refugee, the widow, and the orphan, and to model your love for this world. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we can spend with each other in prayer. And I pray that the small groups today will have very fruitful discussions as they look to you and remind themselves of the great price that you paid, but the great way that you love us. Amen. Thank you.